Welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. Today on the Ether, the Shade Protocol Weekly Space, focusing on tornado cash and privacy. Let's take a listen. It is a crazy week for privacy. I jokingly said that privacy is being the hot button Web3 issue was not on the bingo card for August. But as this space always does, never a dull moment. And suddenly, August 8th, 2022 goes down as one of the most historic moments, in my opinion, for privacy in Web3. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of unnerving to see what's happened to Tornado Cash. Um, personally, to, to see such a direct, outright confrontation um, between, you know, the classification of Tornado Cash is something dangerous and illegal and seeing all of the Web2 companies um, responding, such as GitHub and the, and the donate domain name services. Um, it should be clear more now than ever that privacy in Web3 is essentially going to be under attack moving, moving forward. The, the great debate has begun and it's ultimately going to be up to you the consumers, you the users, and we the builders to to fight for this attribute, um, to fight to fight the good fight for privacy because your right to privacy is a human right. There are dozens of reasons why financial privacy is important. And I think the simplest one, if you look at Web2, is you don't want everyone to own your data because you don't trust people will ethically use your data. Like that, that simple fact alone should be, should be enough of a reason for us to, to stand for this cause. And I think it was interesting being surrounded by um, developers and builders as the Tornado Cash news um, came out because everyone, at least in office, kind of looked at each other. And it was this moment of realization that here we are, USDC freezing transactions on chain, right? That's stable coin. And then here we are with Tornado Cash being under attack um, and privacy. And, and then you think about Silk and you think about Shade Protocol. Um, Tornado Cash has 55K followers on Twitter. We have 33K followers. Um, we are not some distant, far away project from these issues. Um, we, we exist at the heart of these issues. What we're launching with Silk, a privacy-preserving stablecoin, where you are the true custodian of your funds. No one can freeze your transactions, right? And not only can no one freeze your transactions, but you have that financial privacy. It's, it's surreal what we're you know, on the forefront of launching here. And I can't help but feel after yesterday that once Silk is out in the wild, it's, wild, it's, it's, a, point of, it's a point of no return. Um, Shade Protocol and the privacy-preserving privacy DeFi um, it's decentralization, it's censorship resistant attributes. These are things that are intimately worth fighting for and we will fight for them. Um, we're beyond excited to get this out you know, to, to the world. And I guess today's discussion, I guess, centers around um, Tornado Cash, what you guys think the implications are. I'm sure there's going to be questions about how to shape protocol you're not going to be answering to the regulations, what our thoughts are on the Web2 reaction to Tornado Cash, um, how Silk fits into the larger Web3 narrative after what's happened recently. Um, plenty, plenty of things we can tackle. And I'll be honest, I don't have answers to all of them. Um, this, this one took me by surprise. Someone the other day was like, what are your, what are your thoughts like on 
if the U.S. government just like bans every privacy project? And it's like, I don't have the answer to that. Like I, these are these are things that um, we're going to need to take some time to process and, and strategize. And I think a lot of privacy projects knew this stuff was on the horizon. Um, but the horizon point becomes a lot closer once you have your starting point. And Tornado Cash is now the historic starting point for sovereign nations reference to privacy within a Web3 context. So I'll pause there, Don, if you want to jump in. Just this is a this is a turning point for our protocol. And it's uh, it's scary. It's exciting. And it's, it's unbelievably um, inspiring knowing that, like, we're we we stand for privacy. We stand for sovereignty. Um, even despite these these recent events, it really it makes us want to double, triple, and quadruple down on on our mission. Yeah, I would I would agree uh, wholeheartedly in regards to to what it means for Shade Protocol to continue pushing forward and and building what we want to build. Um, I guess my first question for you, Carter, uh, more specifically, is just what does this whole tornado cash um, fiasco mean for privacy solutions in the cosmos like how do you think the cosmos itself is going to react and and should the envelope continue to be pushed forward yeah i mean i I think the first the first thing to start with is just like the utter chaos that's happening right now people are sending mixed eth um to these different you know public addresses and the implication of 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 that is you can be technically put in prison and technically there's massive fines tied to these things. And um, they've essentially classified a permissionless product as illegal. And that's like impossibly difficult to fairly track and, and classify. So I think it's an absolute mess that's been opened up here. Um, any Any mixer project, anyone providing transactional privacy, it has to kind of pause and say, what happens if this happens to me next? And, you know, Secret Network's really interestingly position the tech stack we're building on because it's it's not just transactional privacy that's the focus, it's it's data privacy. So we're actually even more deeply entrenched with the use cases that can, you know, be, be built beyond just hiding transactional um, data. I think there's going to be a little bit of a lag. The fact that they started with Tornado Cash um, there are many, many L1s and many, many privacy projects. And it seems like they're choosing the chain with the most liquidity, the most enterprise adoption. So I think Cosmos, you know, we have a little bit of extra time to, to, to figure out how we want to react to these things. Um, my, my hope would be that this kicks off a new narrative in Web3, which is the value of privacy. Um, to date, people have said, like, what, what's, I don't really need privacy in blockchain, do I? Like, what's, how is this actually going to impact me in real life? Well, here you have it, folks. If you're, if you're doxxed and you're tied to these addresses, you're tied to these products, then your stable coins get frozen. Um, your in, in real world identity is, is under attack because of your decision to interact with the permissionless uh, product that has many reasons why you'd want to use it other than nefarious purposes. So, um, TLDR, the privacy narrative is no longer a narrative, it's reality. And now it's up to Web3 to decide how it how it wants to react to that fact. Yeah, I think I would agree that the cosmos has a little bit more time, um, hopefully at least, than we think, especially since regulations have started on something like Tornado Cash, where like you said, there's many, many L1s um, before they reach the cosmos. So hopefully there are there is a little bit more time. Um, I would also agree with your statement in regards to hoping that privacy becomes kind of the de facto solution in the cosmos. Like it is of the utmost importance. It always has been. Um, unfortunately, sometimes I think it takes very large events for people to come to realizations. Um, so hopefully this event has pushed people to the realization that yeah, I need privacy. I can't operate in a completely transparent um, ecosystem anymore if I, if I value my, my sovereignty as a user. Um, switching a little bit more to protocol-focused, um, what does this type of 
move from regulation standpoint mean for something like Shade Protocol um, and more specifically Silk? I think those are two very different answers, but let's start with Shade Protocol first um, and then we can move into Silk. Yeah, it's interesting because with the viewing key architecture of Secret Network, there would be opportunities for users to, you know, decrypt their transactions and potentially prove to a regulator, like, here's exactly where the funds went. You know, they, they, have, they have sovereignty to kind of walk through a trial or a hearing tied to their specific address. This is, off, this is obviously, like, very forward thinking. I don't think we've ever had, like, an on-chain trial tied to privacy, tied to, hey, you need to decrypt your data for a court. But at least with Shape Protocol, we do have the ability um, for users to be able to do that with their Silk transactions, with their Shape Protocol app interactions. But the key, the key component is they can't be forced to do that. It's ultimately like it's tied to user sovereignty. And so if they want to willingly give that up, they can. They also don't necessarily have to. And that is, that is sovereignty at its finest. Um, so like, I think the beauty of Shape Protocol is because you have that sovereignty, we're giving users a path to compliance but we're also giving users the path to do what they will with privacy as an attribute, to just put it bluntly. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of what it means for the protocol. What does it mean moving forward on a stablecoin narrative? And more specifically, what would that mean for Silk as a stablecoin that's coming to the Cosmos very soon? I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, USDC was freezing on-chain transactions, um, which is kind of stunning to see it happen in real time. I know I was on a Twitter space. I think it was actually less than a, it was about a month ago. And I said, Hey, I think USD, USDC is the CBDC of the future. Like it's already here. And I remember having a couple of people hop on the call and like, Oh, that seems kind of far, far fetched a little bit. Like there's people that kind of like shrugged it off. And then like, here we are like a month later and transactions are being frozen on chain based off of a sovereign nation saying, Hey, anyone who interacts with this permissionless app is under indictment, right? That's insane that USDC kind of reacted that way. And it, and it proves that um, decentralized stable coins, uh, there's real value there. There's very real value. Originally it was, well, what's the most stable asset I can hold? Well, a centralized stable coin. What's your trade-off? Well, it's centralized, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the trade-off playing out in real time um, and so I think, you know, IST, Ultra, Silk, uh, Comdex stablecoin, Frax, uh, DAI, all, all of these stablecoins are now you know, proving to the world via the actions of decentralized entities that uh, decentralization is a, is a very tangible attribute that must be protected at all costs. Um, Silk happens to be unique because it has decentralization and it has privacy and it has stability and it has a decentralized peg. Um, and like a year ago when we started this, this project, um, I remember kind of a couple people saying like, that seems too much. Like that, that seems like we're aspiring for too much. Why don't you just have, you know, decentralized stable with privacy pegged to the dollar, right? Like, why don't you just aspire for that? And I think it's moments like this that prove that web three needs to continue to push, push the envelope of attributes that we all care about. Because it's moments like this that make Silk seem like, you know, the future and the answer to this, uh, these types of situations. Yeah, I would, I would 100% agree. Obviously, I'm biased, um, but I, I would agree. I would say let's, let's go into a little bit more on Silk. I know we have in the past on Twitter Spaces talked about the composition of Silk, how it's, how it's pegged and, and all of these functions. But Let's go a little bit more um, into that just to kind of solidify the fact of decentralization and, and how it accomplishes those things. Sure. So we'll start with decentralization of the peg. I think yesterday I tweeted out a tweet that was talking about kind of all the different attributes of Silk. And so Silk is split between USD, Euro, JPY, Canadian, Dollar, gold, CAD, GBP, IDR, SGD, AUD, Bitcoin, SEK, and, and NOK, I think. I think that's the, the composition. So there's quite a few currencies involved. And so decentralization of PEG means that um, all the different minting contracts 
mint out at a rate that is tracking an index of all these different currencies and commodities, um, which means when you look at silk and its value, it's not going to be pegged to $1. It's going to be slowly but surely tracking the summation of all of these currencies and commodities and the weights that are, that are tied to them. So that's, that's decentralization of peg. Decentralization of collateral is something that's still in motion. So what we consider safe decentralized collateral is based off of depth of liquidity, the smart contract risk, bridge risk, and the amount of compressed volatility that exists with that asset. Um, on Seeker Network, we don't have too many great options uh, for decentralized assets in, that have that liquidity. So right now, it's definitely going to be targeting the likes of Secret, Staked Secret, um, Atom, and whatever assets can start to fall into the, the you know, past the checks of the, that list of four things I just listed off. Um, Shade, as the model has evolved, is less and less directly correlated with, with Silk. So there's room for Shade to be able to mint out Silk in an over-collateralized model in the future, but we're a little bit hesitant about doing that out of the gates. So I, I don't think that'll be the case initially. Um, but yeah, that, those are the attributes we care about with decentralization of collateral. And I actually think that uh, SBeam has been working on compiling a list of assets that kind of qualify under that category, as well as what the initial minting pool interest rates will be in minting rates, all those different uh, components of, of Shadeland. So that's decentralization of PEG, decentralization of collateral. Privacy is achieved via the Seeker Network tech stack. Um, all the different validators on Seeker Network run something called trusted execution environments. They're essentially this, this private enclave where data comes in encrypted. It gets decrypted inside of this hardware environment. Uh, it's computed across. The state is updated. And then it's re-encrypted and spit out. And because all of the validators on the network all have the same consensus C inside of their hardware environment, they can all uh, prove that they have the same outputs for the computations that they, that they um, all compute across equally. So it's in this way that there's verifiability of these transactions and everything stays encrypted. So that's, the, that's where the privacy attribute comes from. Silk is also fast, another attribute. I mean, fast, I guess, within the con it depends. It depends on the context that you, that you consider speed. But transaction times are around five-ish seconds on Seeker Network. So rel relatively quick. I'm actually excited to see over the course of the next decade how much faster transactions can get. Fees are also quite cheap. It's contingent upon the price of secret is gas, but anywhere from like a single cent to a couple pennies, super, super cheap. Um, let's see, what other attributes? I'm like pulling up my tweet right now. So we decentralized peg, decentralized collateral, fast, it's private. Oh, and like the stability mechanisms. There's uh, six different stability mechanisms for Silk. Out of the gates, we're pretty much starting with the over-collateralized model. There'll also be redemption pools, protocol-owned arbitrage, um, as well as bounded minting through the treasury. So we're launching with four, but we're going to be largely focused on the over-collateralized model and then slowly migrating to a more dynamic system. But yes, that's where the stability comes from. We're, we're not just going to be a MakerDAO clone. We're not just going to be a Frax clone. We're really taking a, a marriage of MakerDAO, Frax, and much more safe and permissioned and scoped approach to um, some of Terra's mechanisms as well. I know that's like the, a death knell, a word you're never supposed to use, but um, there were components there that were, were interesting, just fundamentally weren't bounded properly. Um, and obviously to, to terrible effect at the end of the day. And then finally, Silk's global, right? It can be globally transmitted with the interoperability of secret network. Uh, we plan to bring Silk to every blockchain that it's compatible with. And Silk is also composable in the sense that it can interact with smart contracts. I think there are a couple of other stable, uh, stable coins necessarily, but there's a couple other privacy coins that are excellent for transactional privacy, but they're not, they don't really have the composability of, you know, powered by IBC, powered by smart contract. So Silk is differentiated in so many different ways. And I, I can't think of a better end game for a stable coin if we pull it off with respect to all of those attributes. Um, the goal is lofty, the goal is big, but if we can do this, I, I genuinely think Silk has a chance 
at, at changing Web3 in a dramatic, historic way? Yeah, I mean, obviously, on a personal note, I know all of this, um, but it is a very, very good thing to kind of just go over and make sure that people understand the the scope of what Silk is going to accomplish. Um, I've I've always loved the quote that if your dreams and your goals don't scare you, then you're not dreaming big enough. Um, and and Silk is that dream that would be the, the scary one, the one that the one that makes you stay up at night and wonder if it's actually possible. Um, but but all the things that Silk is trying to accomplish and, and will accomplish are are the things that we need to move forward in this space. Like you said, the decade long vision, like you need all of these things implemented into tokens and into digital assets if you want to continue pushing this space forward. If you want to continue innovation in the correct direction, um, and and I'll probably just say it away from from the regulations and away from the the regulatory bodies that that exist currently. If we want to get away from those things, you have to push the envelope, um, and you have to innovate for innovation's sake, whether or not it works. Um, a lot of these, um, Carter, I think you and I have both said it before, but. A lot of a lot of things in crypto are experiments, um, and if they work, they're glorious. And if they don't work, they're still glorious in the sense that they've allowed us to learn, allowed us to implement, and allowed us to move forward. Um, whether or not we continue using those things in the future, um, but Silk will be one of these glorious things. Um, and if we take the correct steps, and if we take the correct security measures then it will be something that stays around for, for decades and decades. Um, but is there anything specifically that you have? I know that you had a couple of things in your head as well um, regarding kind of the whole conversation regarding privacy and Tornado Cash. Um, is there anything else that you'd want to, to add to this conversation? Well, I guess I just would say like anyone who's listening to this Twitter space probably knows that there's a lot more brevity um, and kind of idealism that's being talked about here. And I, th- I think it's important to acknowledge that. And, and the reason that's the case is, A, we're getting much closer to the launch of Silk. Like we internally, in terms of the product packages and the roadmap, like it's, it's starting to become very, very tangible. Um, and B, when you have what happens with Tornado Cash, um, suddenly it's not just launching, a, like it, this this feels like we're headed towards a um, a crossroads, uh, a point of no return, I should say. That once it's out, once Silk is out in the wild, there's no going back. Um, and there's brevity to that. There's a level of um, it, it. It scares me, but in a good way because we're, you know, fast forward six months or a year. If something happens with regulators, um, the people that built it are in many ways the ones that are responsible for it. So I, I just think a lot of it is processing the levity of what we're about to collectively do as a community. Um, and I'm excited to get Silk out into, to the wild. And I also think there's an urgency to get it out sooner rather than later in, in light of, of what's happening. Of course, not rushing things, but it's just we, we got to move. We have this specific window in time where we need to get these products out. Um, while there's kind of a you know potential grayish area, while still having the pieces in place for potential compliance. So, yeah, I would agree. Um, it looks like Yarrow kind of read my mind, <laughs> but uh, I was gonna switch to a little bit more of a AMA style here um, after Carter and I had kind of discussed what we what we wanted to discuss. Um, so Yaro, thank you for requesting. Um, we will be switching to kind of an AMA question. So if you do have any questions regarding shade protocol, uh, and silk and that regards to privacy or tornado cash and like how we're going to respond, things like that, um, digital assets, uh, anything relating to that, please raise your hand. Um, we will bring you on stage. Let's try and keep the questions as much as we can on scope. Um, I know that what's happening is is a very terrible situation um, and scenario, but let's just try and try and keep the questions on scope as much as we can, um, just to kind of keep the conversation flowing. But Yaro, I will bring you up. Um, you should be on stage. Welcome, welcome, Yaro. Hey, can you hear me? Okay. 
Yep. Love Excellent. Um, my question is uh, to do with Tornado Cash and the whole um, anti-money laundering, counterterrorism financing um, mozzle that's going on at the moment. So I've actually got a background myself in the area and I'm you know, three quarters of the way through the masters in that area. Um, background to it is two things have happened in the last three years. One is the Financial Action Task Force, which is a UN subsidiary, has said, hey, stable coins are the thing that's going to get crypto mass adoption. And they said privacy coins are the thing that we fear the most in regards to illicit crime. Um, what the United States at the moment is really afraid of is ransomware attackers um, using privacy coins to have untraceable money, pretty much. So my question is, what happens if, um, say, a US medical institution gets hacked and then the ransom says, pay us $1 million in shade? Um, that ransom is paid and then the US government goes, hey, where has that money gone? Is there a way to track that money? With sovereignty, there there isn't, right? I mean, that, I think that's the... The, the point of privacy tech um, if if the pro, if shade protocol and secret network was capable of decrypting destinations of potential users then that puts the fundamental attribute of privacy at risk so I think we just have to be honest about the best privacy technology is equitable across the line um, I then I think that just has to be acknowledged truthfully um, I, I fully understand that and I get that from my perspective. I think there might be two repercussions of this, and that is can the people that vote through governance on the secret network do anything to track a transaction? And then if nothing can be done, can the validators be told to shut down because you know they're ena enabling a North Korean hacker group get weapons of mass destruction? Um, to me, that's the biggest risk to shade. And I'd be interested to hear um, if there is any kind of mitigations to that risk that you guys can think of. Yeah. So one, one thing I want to reference to is, so yeah, you have a couple of great points there. I want to start with the fact that Silk, when it leaves Secret Network, is, is transparent. Um, so there is like a path for Silk to be used in a completely transparent fashion. That's obviously some people value total transparency as an attribute, just like we value total privacy as a as a valuable attribute. Um, with respect to the validator set, Secret Network is a permissionless, permissionless network. Um, so in the event that some nodes, if they were somehow forcefully complied to remove their service, there's nothing stopping from servers popping up all over the world, joining the validator set and continuing, continuing onward. So that's, that's the beauty of permissionless, permissionless systems. Could the, some of the validators be in jeopardy? I think realistically, the answer is like, yes. Would the network continue regardless? I believe so, 100%. Um, we probably could pull up some of the more validator-focused experts to talk about the potential of that situation. Yep. Um, there, there's also the fact that we, like, we do have plans in the future to, man, I, this, this stuff is, this is, this is the alpha stuff. So I don't, I don't want to dive too much into it, but I'll, I'll repeat a statement I've said before, which is, if you truly want Web3 to scale, you can't separate finance from identity. Um, and so I think we need to provide the tooling for people to interact with Shade Protocol apps in a way that's perfectly compliant while still having the total path to sovereignty. And what that would imply is you would need a certain set of smart contracts um, to have different types of permissioning to potentially be more in line with different sovereign nations. Um, the downside of that is it's, there's less privacy for interacting with those sets of smart contracts. The upside is uh, that privacy situation you said could potentially be solved for. Um, I think the answer is we should aspire to do both um, with the emphasis on the sovereign tech stack first before you go towards a more like compliance-based tech stack. But I think the answer is to head in both directions, do them both simultaneously, and you ultimately like let users users decide. So hopefully Yaro, that helpful. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for the reply. Um, I'm really bullish on this project and I think now's a really good time to launch and I look forward to see um, where it goes in the future. Cheers. Thank you, Yaro.
have a good one. Yeah, thank you, Yara. Um, just as a as a quick reference, we'll bring up one of the one of the masterminds on the validator side of the secret network, um, just so he can probably give his two cents um, in regards to kind of that service and, and what it entails. Um, but note, Father, I'll bring you up really quick um, just to kind of have those talking points. But welcome. Yo, thanks for having me up. Um, yeah, I was just going to chime in on that. Um, I I don't think it's very likely that the actual val the actual validators themselves would be targeted by like OFAC. I suppose they could if like they it'd be taking it kind of far, but essentially they would just say uh, all these validator addresses are now sanctioned. So if they did this, then like no more delegations from Secret Labs because that would be a violation of sanctions for Secret Labs. Any individuals that were U.S. people delegating uh, would be stopped. But I, I just kind of don't think that's likely. I think what's more likely, you know, I hope what's what's more likely, even though it's it's also not a great outcome, would be, um, you know, if they really stick to their, if the Fed really sticks to their guns on this stuff, then uh, it's possible they, you know, they would blacklist the main contract address in events where the communities do not add a feature to blacklist interacting with OFAC addresses. So the reason why I think Tornado Cash actually got such a severe action against them is because those people, and I'm not criticizing them, but they they did go out of their way to put themselves in a position where they couldn't blacklist addresses on OFAC. Um, if they would have just made it so addresses blacklisted on OFAC didn't work with Tornado Cash on a protocol level, not just a front-end level, if they did this, I don't think the action would have been as severe. Not sure that I think they should have, but I do think that uh, annoying scenario where they just pressure you to uh, black, you know, you know, ban OFAC addresses from working with your DAP, I think that would be their goal versus stepping on the free speech stuff, right? Like, even if everybody doesn't currently care about secret, if they target validators, um, I, I mean, I think a lot of crypto would jump in on it. And it's, I mean, and they'd be targeting a lot of highly resourced people, uh, essentially, because, um, you know, validators everywhere would be like, oh, this is a threat to us. It's a threat to our business model. So like, um, yeah, it would be like, it would be like finding a bunch of entities. Some of them would be low resourced, but the ones that are highly resourced, they, uh, you know, they, they would probably, they would probably do something about it. I don't know what, uh, lobbying at the least, but I think it would be fought. And I think there would be a lot of friction. Um, so TLDR, I think, I think what they really wanted was um, to just ban, you know, to make it so that the dApps can't interact with the OFAC list addresses. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for hopping in there and adding some extra color to the situation. That's, that's fascinating. I, I jokingly put out a tweet when things first happened um, where, you know, it's, it starts with Tornado Cash, but it ends with, um, like, Hey, if you don't interact with this United States endorsed smart contracts, then you're like you're you're bad, <laughs> right? So it is it is starts to be a, a slippery slippery slope um, on like how much decentralized apps should you know have their code comply with sovereign entities. It's an interesting philosophical philosophical question, um, and the markets are obviously going to pressure it in a certain direction, which is why having these conversations now are so important. I, I kind of think that some communities will push to be compliant with that sort of thing as more privacy tools come out. We already see like sovereign chains make their own decisions, rather you like it or not, or rather I like it or not, like Juno blacklisting an address. Like I don't agree with that decision, but I agree that they're a sovereign chain. And if that's what they want to do, then that's what they're going to do. So I kind of think that's that some dApps with governance, uh, well, depending on your perspective of like 
uh, or depending on the facts of if like it's feasible for the team to do the work and if the team is willing or whatever. But yeah, I, I think some DAPs are just going to vote to be compliant to some degree. And I think the most likely compromise that most will make as privacy proliferates is just blacklisting OFAC addresses. It's fascinating because if you think about the evolution of blockchain, the original attribute that was ex- that people really, really cared about was immutability. And slowly over time, we saw that that there was flexibility at, around the term immutability, right? And now we have this attribute known as, you know, permi- permissionlessness, the ability to anyone, anywhere interact with an app at any time, right? And I think what we're going to see is just like we saw immutability as an attribute start to shift on a spectrum, then the idea of permissionlessness will also begin to shift on the spectrum. Um, it kind of makes me sad, but it seems like the inevitable outcome of nuance and risks and compliance and sovereign nations starting to enter into the game. And then to your point, no father, it's then up to the sovereign communities to decide what attributes they value and where on the spectrum they wish, wish to, to lie. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Note Father, for for coming up again. He uh, he has a lot, a lot of information and knowledge about the validating services and and how that operates. But uh, yeah, wait, wait. For- other shout out, a phenomenal um, secret nodes. Go check it out. Yeah. Best, best block explorer in the cosmos. <laughs> and be sure to uh, give the father and secret nodes a follow and and delegate as well. Super super great validator. Really important part of secret network. Yeah. Um, but let's bring up Red Eye Bear. Um, again, always, always active in the community. But Red Eye, you should be on stage. Welcome. Looks like you're currently on mute. Oh, good. Sorry, I couldn't uh, couldn't tell if I'd been brought up. Oh, no worries. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me on to ask a quick question. Uh, this question's mostly directed at Carter, um, but I guess any of the other team uh, is feel is welcome to answer this. Um, but my question is, is in regards to the decentralized collateral that's backing Silk. Um, not only are we seeing, um, you know, actions from Circle, um, blacklisting particular USDC addresses, but we're also seeing multiple different decentralized stables popping up with, within the cosmos. And I think it's a fair assumption to make that a lot of these stables are going to use similar uh, collateral and so I guess maybe this is a two-part question. One, uh, does the actions of Circle recently after um, after the sanctions against Tornado Cash, does this make you think twice about holding USDC within the Treasury to back Silk? Um, and then also, as more of these decentralized stables pop up within the Cosmos, how do you see uh, this decentralization of collateral uh, kind of playing out because if everyone is vying for the same collateral, that could be, that could prove to be dangerous um, kind of in a downturn. Yeah, no, I think I'll reference the first part and say, of course, it makes us think twice. Like it's uh, how many DAOs are holding USDC or right how many DAPs are holding USDC. It's an incredibly flexible and helpful tool with a set of attributes that clearly have trade-offs as we've seen in the recent events. So we're looking at the whole stablecoin situation and it's, it's honestly somewhat perplexing because we have, you have two conflicting um, things that we need to accomplish. We need to establish, you know, liquidity for, for the various applications and we need a degree of stability from the underlying collateral that's being used. So to have those options start to be limited, potentially is it's it's tough to grapple with and so we're we're actively looking at like what stable coins are we comfortable with what trade-offs are we willing to accept are there situations where it's okay to use certain stable coins that could in the future have bad things happen to them um, in the name of stability and liquidity with a clear path to migrate away or do you take an ethos stance right out of the gates there's trade-offs to all of these things and so I think the situation is being actively monitored and i think as we head in a direction on you know the different core contributors having an opinion on this we'll definitely talk about it on the forums and and get feedback from everyone collectively so long and short yes what happened to usdc 
it impacts the way we view the situation. Um, and there's more research to be done. I mean, stable coins are in a tough spot. You, if you have USTC backing your stable coin, it's, it's like a risk. Sometimes that risk is okay in the name of utility. But what happened with USDC being frozen increases the risk of the risk being realized in a very negative way. And so we have to be we have to be cognizant of that Um, in terms of decentralized collateral, like a lot of people using Atom, a lot of people using Juno or Secret. um, That's it's an it's an interesting question. I would love to get your thoughts on the ramifications of a bunch of stable coins all using the same collateral. Red eye. I love that. Like, could you could you walk me through the the risk that you see? So the main risk um, that I potentially see, and and to be completely fair, I I read about this on Twitter. Someone put out a thread, kind of laying out these risks. But to kind of sum it up, is that if all of these decentralized stables have this backing, um, have this backing of Cosmos assets, uh, and they're over collateralized, as if we take a really sharp drop. Um, in, in the markets, we could see cascading liquidations across the cosmos. Um, and then that's going to further damage the value of these cosmos assets. And I just see the recovery being much, much harder, uh, given this like m- multiplication of uh, cascading prices in the event of a sharp market downturn. Um, and so this is, it's kind of a, uh, not necessarily a worst case scenario, but close to a worst case scenario. Um, so that's that's just what I was wondering about, like, uh, you know, more more of these assets being pulled out of circulation. I don't think right now we're at a point where we really are worrying about, like, the security of the chain being at risk, whereas, like, we can't get to the proper bonded ratio to be able to prevent certain attacks or the validator set is just more susceptible uh, to various attacks in general. I think it's more just uh, concerned about the the val- the underlying value of these assets um, just cascading dramatically uh, in the event of a sharp market downturn and and protocols and applications having a hard time recovering from that. You know, I think it's a it's a good observation. Lending products are a form of leverage, right? You're you're doubling down on utilizing your underlying assets, and so when that leverage unwinds, there's going to be liquidation consequences. The good news is, is that there's a data set for this. Like how much was ETH impacted by all the different lending products on Ethereum, right? How much did all of those leverage positions negatively impact security of the underlying chain? And obviously, I think pr- price is most impacted. It seemed like security was largely um, okay, of course, during the massive bear market of Ethereum. So I think what Cosmos needs to be aware of is yeah how much of tvl within the cosmos is locked in lending products versus a diverse set of products Um, so that's a great way to put it that's probably more the root of my question yeah yeah i think that's so it's it's like the onus is really on cosmos collectively to come up with other products that utilize assets in a different way other than a leveraged lending product Um, unfortunately leverage is one of DeFi's favorite tools so yeah, no, I, th- I think you bring up a great point specifically for Adam. You know, I mean, once again, like these are permissionless assets. So no one can really like stop an L1 from using an IBC version of Adam to, you know, leverage against. But I think Adam's probably most negatively impacted by all the different stable coins that are going to be launched. Because if they're taking the maximal security stance and then you have your, you know, assets that are securing the chain being leveraged against from like a purist standpoint, that's kind of unfortunate for the hub. Um, but I think for all the other L1s that aren't taking that maximal security stance with respect to like what the value prop is over the long haul, I think those chains are less impacted. So yeah, don't, I don't have a clear answer for you, except we just got to keep our eyes on it. And for, and for Shape Protocol specifically, it's like diversify across as many possible assets as possible. Uh, diversify assets that are used for the over-collateralized mechanism. So, yeah, and and just to clarify, my question about the USDC backing of Silk comes from a place of knowing how ethos driven the Shade Protocol team is, and the question is more to kind of gauge what what the team thinks the uh, the uh, priority attributes are for Silk, and if there are any lines that are drawn in the sand, so to speak, about like we will not 
handle this level of uh of like uh veering from what our ultimate goal is you know like in my head i can't help but think about like okay if silk or sorry if if usdc can freeze these assets but it's slightly understandable like it's logically understandable why they did it the protocol might be okay but what is that action that one of these centralized stables does that flips the switch with decentralized uh stables it says okay we're no longer comfortable holding this on our balance sheet regardless of the amount of stability the actual underlying asset has the other attributes are just too much for us to take on yeah well, i mean i think you've nailed it on the head it's a game of it's a game of risk management some of these centralized stables provide a significant amount of utility that's why they have as much adoption as they do but then there's risks that are carried by having those stables be part of your DeFi protocol. So I personally lean towards appreciating the utility of them with a very clear path to migrate away from, from them. Um, but then there's also an argument to not touch them at all. So it's, it is an active, active discussion and it's very much, it should be framed within the context of risk management, in my opinion. And I think there's Ethereum stable coins that have also migrated away, but they're still very dependent on USDC. So I think if Shape Protocol is going to touch USDC, it's, it would be at the start of its lifespan, and it should have a very clear goal to migrate away from it and a much, with much sharper rules than what the many Ethereum projects chose to do with USDC. Um, I also think we're, we're further away from USDC issuance, like it's through bridges at this point. Um, so I think our risk profile is lower, but the risk is still there. So like I said, that, that's my summary situation. I, I appreciate you touching on the risk management associated with all this. And I, I tend to agree with your, uh, with your stance of where I think for the, the best case for the protocol would probably be not to take a pure ethos standpoint and use the utility that USD provides, but have a very clear pathway to migrate away from it. But that's the end of my questions. I, I appreciate you guys letting me chat. Yeah, no, lovely. Uh, your questions are always push us in a really good way. So I always appreciate you uh, coming up here and asking really, really solid questions. So usually I get off Twitter spaces and for the next like hour, I'm just processing the questions. Like did, what, you know, what, what's the implication of that answer? Can, can we have more nuance to the answer? Can we, how does this change, you know, our design space? So keep up the, Excellent work on the contributing side. And for anyone who doesn't, be sure to follow Red Eye on Twitter. Always got some excellent, excellent takes. Awesome. Thank you, Red. Appreciate it. Always. Um, last question, I think, we'll bring up Zenopy. Um, also a very longstanding community member. Um, but uh, Zen, I will bring you up and you can take us to the top of the hour. But welcome. Hi, I was wondering. Hey, Zen. I was wondering, uh, since Shade is uh, located in the U.S., what is your relationship with other development teams outside of the U.S.? And are you willing to relocate to those development teams? So I'll, I'll say that there is a set of core contributors based out of the U.S., but there's also core contributors based outside of the U.S. So in the event of something terrible happening to the U.S. team, the, the journey continues um, regardless. I want to make that very clear. Should we be very cognizant of the risks of the set of core contributors based out of the U.S.? Yes, it's something something we're monitoring. I'm personally willing to to relocate for the for the sake of the protocol. It sucks to move away from family and loved ones, but if that's what has to be done, uh, then that's what has to be done. I don't think that risk is tangible yet, but I've I've <laughs> I've talked with loved ones about it before, and. Uh, yeah, that would suck. I really hope we that never has to happen. But yeah, I think like Carter, like Carter mentioned, um, one part of many core teams is located in the U.S. Um, but if anything were to happen to the section that is in the U.S., the rest of the core teams around the world would continue to push the vision forward. Um, we have all discussed it. Um, and I think there's quite a few of us that are willing to. Um, I agree with Carter. It would not be my first option. But if it needs to happen, um, then I, I will be willing to do so. 
Um, but yeah, I think overall, though, vision vision would continue um, whether or not that that does happen. If that makes sense. Awesome. Cool. Uh, is there is there anything else, or was that just the was that the extent of your question? That's all. <laughs> Awesome. I appreciate it, Zen. Um, since we do have a couple more minutes, I will bring Marty up as well. So Marty, welcome. You are on stage. Hey, so to kind of piggyback off of Zeno's question, uh, in terms of if if the worst case scenario happens and you guys end up in a situation where you have to even consider moving uh, out of the States, wouldn't there also be kind of pressure on uh, secret network as a whole and we'd have to address uh, uh, that whole thing too because uh, and kind of like not just shore up your operation and make sure that keeps going on but it's kind of important and crucial to the, your project that the whole network kind of can can protect ourselves from this or is it less so uh, that, that that case and you guys can kind of uh I don't want to say break off and spin up a, you know, uh, not be aligned with the network anymore if if regulations do get, you know, come down really hard. But uh, is that something that you guys are worried about or even consider? Or Yeah, so we'll, we'll start with the L1 piece. I mean, the good news is we have a set of very incentivized actors known as, you know, secret network, right? There's the secret token and every builder of secret network core protocol developer is incentivized to fight tooth and nail to make sure that that network is operational and lives up to its attributes. So I have full confidence in the secret network validator set and the protocol team to continue to deliver those attributes and to make sure the network stays online. Um, as, an, as an app, if there was some nuclear scenario where for whatever reason, shape protocol has to get kicked off the island, then like we'd have to do that, right? Like you always have to be, you have to be prepared for worst case scenarios. Um, Cosmos SDK is pretty cool, but Secret Network's pretty special. So that would be quite the gargantuan task. And, you know, optimally, it's just Secret Network, you know, is able to be resilient. And this still goes on. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're confident that that, that is the case. And will uh, the validators will uh, maintain uh, resiliency because it's pretty scary that they just, I mean, it happened so fast. It's, I mean, it's a pretty bold move what they just did very quickly and i feel like uh if they're willing to do it that like uh, i mean who knows what they're willing to do next in terms of this kind of stuff um so yeah yeah one interesting thing marty i'm actually there's there's a uh universal privacy alliance that's being formed in the background uh, probably the first time this has been publicly spoken about um but there are how shall i say this many many large and important Web3 advocates for privacy, um, many of them founders, many of them builders, that behind closed doors have already begun to to unite and unify and begin these conversations across all privacy projects. Um, anyone on here, if you're a part of a privacy project, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to get you included in that. But the first move has been made, right? The, fir the, first, the first piece on the chess table has, has been moved forward. And uh, don't think for one second that the the people that that we won't fight tooth and nail for for privacy right. yeah, yeah. Um, this is what this on, is. on all stages, like on the compliance side, on the building side, and you know counter moves will will be made over time. So fantastic! I I heard the Zcash uh, guys talking about it yesterday. I, they didn't mention with the, the alliance or whatever, but I kind of got a vibe that they were they were ready to you know kind of roll up the sleeves on this one and not roll over. So yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. It's crazy too because the the UPA was something I had the opportunity to be at the, the inception of it. Um, I was not expecting the UPA to become Universal Privacy Alliance to become this relevant this quickly potentially, and it's still in its infancy. Um, but the will is there, the people are there, and the conversations are beginning. So um, we're slightly slower to the draw on privacy projects being unified than I'd like. Part of that is a product of privacy projects like their anonymity. Actually, like it's surprising, like, you know, the ethos is kind of contrary to collaboration to a degree, but there are now people willing to step into the public eye and the situation with Tornado Cash necessitates 
that um, we would unify across project. Yeah, it feels like a RSA kind of Adam Beck kind of deal all over again. Not, uh, I don't yep. know, I can't really. Uh, yeah, but thank you for uh, reassuring me on some things. We appreciate it. 100%. Well, we'll keep you apprised. Thanks for the question. Awesome. I appreciate it, Marty. Um, well, we are at the top of the hour, everyone. Um, so, and Carter, unless you have anything else to add um, right now, then I think we will end up wrapping this. Uh, oh, looks like Melch requested. Um, Melch, we'll, we'll bring you up here. Um, just kind of kind of closing out question here. If anybody wants to continue on this topic or battle Zenopy in the weekly community call, I know he'll be there ready to put up a fight. Hop in the, the shade discord server and uh yeah we'll we'll be chatting about it there yeah absolutely thank you for for reminding me um every week after this call uh this call basically continues in the shade discord server um as melch kind of kind of leads that initiative off so if you do want to continue um kind of discussing these topics and and what what shade protocol is going to react and how we're going to react then make sure to join our Discord um, and just introduce yourself and continue the conversation there. But um, yeah, thank you everyone for jumping on. Um, it's really, really important for us to discuss these topics um, in the ecosystem just to make sure that everyone is, is aware that, that we know what's going on um, and that we have an idea of how we want to react to things and how we want to continue to push the needle forward um, and what our vision is on this. But uh, make sure to follow us on socials, follow us on Twitter. Uh, like Melch said, join our Discord, continue conversations there, um, be a part of the community, join the Shade Forums, um, make, sure you're, make sure your ideas are heard. I think Carter has a couple things to add here as well. Yeah, I got, I got one last thing. There was um, rsa.eth. It's Ryan, Ryan Adams on Twitter. He had a tweet where he said, it was tornado today. Do you think they'll stop there? Tomorrow it'll be Uniswap, then Ethereum. If software isn't safe, then speech isn't. Where will you run? Forget the money. This was always a revolution. The money is just how we fund it. Um, like just inc incredibly powerful tweet. It might be slightly over the top, but I'll say this. Anyone that's a part of the Shape Protocol community, just know that you're a part of the protection of, of free speech in many ways, and that we truly believe that the tech stack that we're building on, the DeFi app that we're building, is a part of a, a revolution. Um, and we're just excited to have such an awesome community be part of it, and we'd invite you to join. So yeah, man, with that, the, the, yeah. Code, code is free speech. I can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Christ. I know the fact that it has to be stated that like that we have to even fight for that is insane. But you know, there there is no courage without fear, and um, this team's courageous. So have a good one, guys. Yeah. On that Take note, um, thanks everyone for joining, and we will see you next week at the same time. So thanks, guys. Take care. Take care, everyone. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Shade Protocol Weekly Space, today discussing Tornado Cash and privacy, recorded on Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. When we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep your hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old and just, so we keep it on the one. Blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third eye open wide, checking out the scene. Razor beam focused, Starscream jokers. Living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back. With the cliffs at our backs, make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck We was walking all erect with a dead man swagger Sitting in a little den, envisioning in the middle men Listen to the fiddle man, play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble-bubillion Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble-bubillion Little den envisioning the middle men Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next b -b 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 No one gave a shit till the drugs all dried up Everybody died from a bad batch of Lysol But it didn't matter we was 
was all hyped up when the pedal at the metal, he just didn't have the right skill. Watched in the daytime till the night curfew. Rats in a cage till they make time to murk you. Got a little job that falls under my purview. We gotta get this mob away from the bird's view. Gotta find cover, wipe off the bird poop, right off the work while you try on the worst juice. Blinded by perps who try to reverse truth. Slide like Fox News just trying to lie to you. Eating up the slop like a bunch of hungry vagrants. I can't wait for the day they lock us up in stasis. Mock up a basement, could call me resilient. Waiting for the internet to make me a b-b-b-billion. In the middle, men listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty, then talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze, trying to make the next billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze, trying to make the next billion. Terror spaces.